there's something that most men are not great at, and that is talking. Now, I don't mean that we're not eloquent. I mean that we just don't speak enough. And sometimes we don't say the things that we need to be saying. Welcome to Father in Our Future. I'm Anthony Vandegriff, not the perfect dad, but every day I am trying to be better. I'm also trying to be better at how I speak to my kids. And I don't just mean speaking to them conversationally. That's important. We have to communicate. We have to be better at that. But one thing we often fail at is speaking affirmation to our children. So today, to help with this, I am joined again by Dr. Eugene Wilson, and we are focusing on affirmation. If you want to be a part of helping dads grow as disciple makers and making them aware of fathering our future, you can help. And here is what I want you to do. I want you to leave a five-star rating for this podcast and write a review wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you'll take a screenshot of that and send it to me at fatheringourfuture at gmail.com, I have a gift for you. I wrote a book called Cut the Crap, Direct Tips for Becoming a Dad. I cannot send you the physical copy, but I will send you the electronic copy of this book. And technically, you'll get a little bit more because the ebook has additional references that are linked all throughout it. So this is my gift for you for rating and reviewing this podcast. Again, send that to me at fatheringourfuture at gmail.com. And by doing that, you're helping create awareness of this podcast, and ultimately, you're helping dads grow as disciple makers. Our scripture for this week comes from Proverbs chapter 18, verse 21. This is the New Living Translation. It says, the tongue can bring death or life. Those who love to talk will reap the consequences. Death or life, that's not something you play around with. That's why we're talking about affirmation today. Well, Eugene, it's great to have you back on the podcast. Thank you so much for giving me some time today. Hey, man, great to be back. I've been look, looking forward to this time. I am um, I'm looking forward to our conversation for sure. I think our last conversation went incredibly well. I, I don't say this to be uh, condescending or derogatory, but it went a lot better than I expected. Not that I expected it to be bad, but we got off that call and I thought, man, that was a, that was a great conversation. Um, so if anyone listening or watching, if you have not listened to the episode uh, that I did with Eugene Wilson, uh, not quite a year ago, probably close to a year at this point, uh, but it was on basically equipping your kids to be leaders uh, instilling leadership qualities into your children. Great conversation. So, so many just nuggets all throughout that conversation that I would encourage everyone to just pick up and apply in their homes and to themselves as fathers. But today we are talking about something that Eugene, this was, this was your request. So once we finished the, once we finished the interview last time, you said, you know what, we need to do this again. And we need to talk about affirmation and validation. So you basically signed yourself up for this today. And I know this is going to be, I know this is going to be a good conversation. Um, this is one of those things that I, I think that is easily overlooked, especially by fathers, because I see affirmation and validation as something that a lot of the times is probably verbal more than it is nonverbal. And as men, we have the tendency to favor the nonverbal communication. 
But before we dive into it and before I put too much of my thoughts into this, can you tell me some good definitions, some uh, just, just a way that we should think of the terms affirmation and validation? Yeah. Um, first of all, man, it really is a thrill to be back. And, and I am passionate about the subject. And I'll explain more as we get into this, why I'm so passionate about it. But um, my, my dad um, is my hero. I mean, he just impacted my life in so many great ways. And uh, was was a father who affirmed me and, and gave validation. And I, I look around and I see so much of that that's lacking. And so, um, you know, I, I'll talk a little bit more about it, but I could dive big time into talking about validation and affirmation. Um, but as far as the definition is concerned, I know that there's a difference between the two because I've studied it. Um, I'm sure I've written about the difference, but in my brain, the way I think, they just kind of get used interchangeably. I just like move them in and out and I'm using the yeah. different words. But but basically, um, words of, of affirming uh, someone that, that carries meaning, that just validates that person and what they're doing and where they're headed, um, sees good in them, sees a future. Uh, you know, part of this, and I'll dive into this right now, part of this that, that really impacted me, I'm guessing 10, 12 years ago, had to deal with the transition between Moses and, and um, Joshua. And that Moses is a person who can see things that Joshua is lacking. And so he critiques Joshua. And, and we know this because the very first time in scripture that Joshua is recorded, uh, his words are recorded having spoken. So we know he spoke before that, but his words being recorded the first time in scripture, Joshua is coming back with Moses from Mount Sinai. And he see he hears the sound of, of worship. And now this is, the children of Israel who are dancing around the golden calf. And Joshua gets it wrong. He says, I hear the sound of war. And Moses corrects him. He says, no, that's not the sound of war. He said, that is the sound of worship that you, that you hear. And so interesting, when they get to camp, Moses goes to correct the situation. The Bible says that Joshua went to his tent and did not come out. So the only logical reason that Joshua would go to his tent and not come out is because he's embarrassed. He's embarrassed that he spoke up and he got it wrong. And so Moses critiques him the second time that he is recorded in scripture as having, um, you know, said something, he gets it wrong again. Uh, this time he go, he comes and he says, Moses, he says, ill dad and me dad are, are prophesying in camp. You got to stop them. And Moses says, uh, I'm not going to stop them. He said, what they're doing is, is, is of God. And the third time he's recorded, recorded and speaking is when he and Caleb come back as one of the two spies with the good report, whereas the other 10 came back with the evil report. Well, Joshua is silent. Caleb is the one who speaks up. And then the 10 give their negative report. And then Joshua is kind of like a little too late and, 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 you know, and not enough. He, he didn't come on real quick, probably because he's gotten it wrong. Every time he speaks up, he's wrong. And so it's, what is so interesting is that in the time of transition between the two, um, Moses is now fading off the scene. Joshua's coming on. God has already spoke to Moses and says, 
Joshua is going to be a replacement. God has to tell Moses repeatedly, go and encourage Joshua. Bring Joshua before the camp. Lay your hands on him. Encourage him. Say these words. And he tells him what words to say. And this is not one time, not two times, not three times. This happens over and over again that he's correcting Moses. So it's interesting is that God never had to tell Moses, critique him, tell him what he did wrong, tell him what he needs to do, you know, uh, how, how to handle this the right way. Instead, God had to tell him, go affirm him, go validate yeah. him. And so that is so interesting to me. Now, when I saw that years ago, I didn't think of this until just a couple, about a, maybe last year, is that it dawned on me is that I wonder what the impact was in Moses' own life because Moses is removed from his home as a child, placed in Pharaoh's house. His mom, we know, was a part of his life in his early years. There's no mention of his dad. The first time that he steps up to, to do something for his people is when he kills the Egyptian who was abusing his people. And what happens, they don't affirm him. Instead, they begin to criticize him because the next day he, he called a couple in an argument. And, oh, what are you going to do to us what you did to the Egyptian? And so it just makes you wonder that if you've never received words of affirmation, um, maybe you have an even greater struggle of passing that on. Sure. And um, I don't know. It's just food for thought. But those are the, the background to my passion for uh, words of affirmation and validation. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. I think, I think it's a, a very um, eye-opening look at the scriptures to see to see what Joshua did and to put the context into, well, this is why he went to the tent and this is why he wouldn't speak when he came back. It's because every time he spoke, he was reprimanded or critiqued or corrected in a sense, but there's never any sense of, of, of validation or, you know, it's one thing to be critical and it's another thing to, you know, offer just this correction there's there's a way you can go about it and i think right. that this is probably a fine line that that dads need to learn how to tread your kid is not always going to do everything right and so i think what we're definitely not saying is no matter what your kid does just praise them for that don't always just praise them for doing something wrong but rather than coming out and saying hey this is wrong stop that maybe you actually take the time to look at what they're doing and find what you can build upon and yeah. say, this is good. Let's try it this way. And instead of just always pinpointing and focusing on the back, I think that's one of the big things that messes a lot of people up is there's so much don't do this and don't do that and stay away from this and don't go there. And no one ever knows what to actually do. And so they just kind of ping pong through life, going from one mistake to the next, avoiding the things that they've been told to have avoid, but never knowing what to do because they were never given the direction, this affirming direction of this is the right way to go. This is what you should do. And then being encouraged to do that. Yeah. I think that's a big struggle that we have. Yeah, that's very good. You, you make me think I, I need to go back and see if there's any research uh, for it. But John Gottman, which the John Gottman Institution talking about marriages, studied marriages for nearly 50 years, um, said that he found that happy couples stay married. Well, that's brilliant, you know. <laughs> and then his research did found, I think it's fascinating, is that you need five positives for every one negative to have a happy marriage. So it doesn't mean that you don't deal with issues. 
doesn't mean that you don't, you know, that you don't think critically, that you don't, all these kind of things. But you have to have five positives for every one negative. It dawned on me here uh, a couple months ago, and I thought, I wonder if that type of research has ever been done in the workplace. And sure enough, I found the research. It was, they found that it was 5.6 to 1. Negative. So 5.6 positive in order to have a happy workplace. Well, I wonder now, as you're speaking, I need to go find it and see if it exists. Has research been done to show that for uh, a father raising a child, uh, a son, you know, is there some kind of racial 5.1? I would guess based off of that, it might be you need five positives for every one negative. I don't know. Yeah. Be interesting. I I think. Even if even if the research doesn't exist, it might still be a good rule of thumb to just incorporate into yeah. your home. And I mean, that can be a bit of a challenge because then you actually have to think about everything that you're doing and contemplate was this negative or not. And you can't necessarily do it just from your perspective either. You have to. This right. is one of the things that I do with my kid that I think. Right. I don't know where I got it from, but I always try to do this anytime he is done something and i usually use my son as the example because he's the oldest and he typically gets into the most trouble just because of his age but um i will ask him after i've talked to him and identified what he did wrong talked about what maybe he should do i will always ask him do you have any questions or do you not understand anything that i've talked about or is there anything that you would just like to say like that you would like to say in response to what i've said and usually those conversations end up with him identifying Maybe this was a little too harsh. Um, I don't really understand this, but but I learned so much getting his perspective that I would have never pieced together just because I'm older. I have a lot more life experience. I'm a lot more educated than he is. So I don't think of things in the same way that he thinks of things. One of the things that I thought was so astounding that I learned from uh, Dr. Jim Littles, we were talking about understanding child development as as fathers and trying to keep that in mind as you're raising your kids he brought up the fact being a teacher and everything that he's done throughout the course of his career, that there's a reason that you don't start learning about the hypothesis in school until you get to about high school. He said, because the brain doesn't actually develop enough to form a hypothesis until you're around the age of 14. He said, that's why it's taught to you in high school and not to you in kindergarten or in grade school. And I thought, this is really neat. So kids don't actually think the same way that we as adults think. So, you know, if we're going to take that role of let's give five positives to every one negative, it might be a good thing for us to focus on having conversations with our kids so that we can actually understand what our negatives are from their perspective. Yeah, that's very good. Very, very good. You know, and I think about just in a very simple, practical um, aspect, I always want my kids to know I love them. So I tell them I love you. I run into too many people. One is too many. Uh, but I've run into a whole lot more than one whose father's never said the words, I love you. Um, I, I tell my children, I, I'm proud of you. Um, I've run into people who have never been told by someone that they loved or wanted those words of affirmation that I'm proud of you. And so I try to pass that on um, to others. Um, I'm president of a, of a college and I'm all the time telling the students, when I can see them, get around them, connect with them. Hey, if I find something that stands out, I'm proud of you. I'm proud of you. I want, I want them to hear those words. I think those things matter. You know, Yeah. If, if I could, I'd love to share this with um, your audience. Absolutely. I, I wrote a book called The Spiritually Healthy Leader. And I actually taught, and we finished our last 
podcast, and when I was saying I don't, I want to share some things, there was something that stood out to me, and this is um, a chapter I wrote on called The Leader's Identity. But I found this, um, this segment, and it, here's what's kind of crazy. My dad, when I was um, about three, four years old, my father had started a church in Indiana, and uh, this is why in my first five years. And so I'm about three to four years old, and he's coming home from work. I don't remember this. I've heard the story so many times, you know. And I'm standing out on the porch, and I've got my leg extended out off the porch, and I'm holding on to the post of the porch, and I'm hollering, Daddy, look, Daddy, look. And I was showing I could <laughs> hold my leg off the porch. Well, I'm I'm walking across the stage. And um, I've just been awarded my doctorate. And my dad is in the audience. And my dad tells me later, he said, as I saw you walk across the stage, he said, I had a flashback to those many years prior, 40 years or so, you know. And um, he said, I had a flashback. He said, I could still see the little Gene, because I was called Gene when I was a kid. I could see the little Gene saying, look, daddy, look. And so you want those words of affirmation. Well, I'm writing this book and I came across, and you may have already seen this, but this is a Peter Michael Henry. It's called The Mentor's Handbook, How to Form Boys into, to, um, into Inspiring and Capable Men. And it says, I quote, at the very core of human existence is an essential requirement to be validated, given permission of sorts to enjoy existence and thrive on the planet. This cannot be overly stressed. A boy who has not been validated by the most powerful person in his life, his father, will ache to feel ignoring emptiness or an uncertainty in his heart. More than likely, he will never be confident that his emptiness is present. But most of his efforts, most of his struggle will be to discover and receive this validation. And most of the places he looks for it will not be powerful enough to deliver him from this dark existence or may even drive him to despair. Man, when I look at that, and then I think about like Esau and Jacob. Yeah, I mean, there's, there's the scriptures reveal families that were flawed. I mean, I can't find a perfect family. Family in right. scripture, there's like so many flaws, and it's interesting that Esau he comes back and he weeps bitterly because his brother has stolen his birthright and all that. And we think that sometimes, Oh, it's because he's lost his land. He's, you know, he doesn't have this, um, this birthright as far as possessions. And actually what it really was about, if you go back and look at it really closely, he was bemoaning the fact that he, no, he no longer had the blessing of the father. He wanted those words of affirmation. And uh, man, it could just go on and on. Uh, David, you know, it's like he's forgotten about. And when you look really closely at David's life, just look at it from the standpoint and read it. Is there the possibility that David's not receiving validation from his father? When you look at that his story, it really does seem to be that way, which then would explain why David was such an inattentive and unsuccessful father himself. I mean, he had so many issues in his family. Yeah. And so anyway, I could go on and on, but when I read that, um, a couple of years ago in that book, man, it impacted me so greatly. Yeah. Uh, That's yeah. a big thing that I hear dads talk about too, or not some dads, but grown men. The one thing that they wanted growing up was to hear their father say, I'm proud of you, son. Like 
those are the words that they wanted from their dad that they never got. And I think it's important for us as fathers to understand that. I think the dads who experience that, I think they're probably more prone to do that. Um, but for people who got it, maybe they got it in small doses and maybe they grew up, grow up and they take it for granted. Uh, I think it's important for us to just remember the fact that we've got to affirm our kids. We've got to, there might, there might be ways that we can do it non-verbally, but we've, we've absolutely have to speak those words. I mean, I think obviously there's truth because this is from the Bible, but when it says, you know, life, life is in the tongue. The power of life and death is, is in the tongue we have the ability to speak life. And I think that's exactly what we do when we encourage our kids and we affirm our kids. Now, I, I wanted to ask you about this because knowing that we were coming to this conversation about affirmation and validation, I started thinking about the story of the prodigal son because uh, I, I find it interesting that the son, the younger son goes away, basically spoils his life, throws away the inheritance that he receives ahead of his time. Um, but he's on the way back and he's rehearsing this script that he's going to deliver to his father. I, I've sinned against you. I've sinned against God. He doesn't even view himself worthy to come back as a son, but he wants to come back as a servant just so he can get out of the level of poverty that he is in. And we know the story. Obviously the father was waiting, watching runs to him while he's still a great distance from the house. doesn't even allow him to finish, to, to finish his speech breaks, breaks in as he's like, I've sinned against you. And he stops him and he calls for the servants. And the remarkable thing is, yeah, it gives him shoes, which servants didn't get shoes. Family members did. He gives him a robe that identifies him as a son. He gives him the signet ring, which the significance there is he could use that ring to go and make purchases on behalf of his father. Um, he basically reinstates him as a son, no questions asked. And, you know, maybe that borders on, on the term of love and affirmation, but I, I think there's something important there for us to catch being that, um, the, the love that we give, the affirmation of our children's identity, that they belong to us. There are certain things like that that are not contingent upon the things that our kids do. I think it's really easy for us sometimes when a kid messes up, you, you almost feel like you got to step away from them and get your space because they have made you upset or they frustrated you and you just you want that distance. I think it's really important, though, that even when they mess up, we never take away that that identity that they belong to us that we that we are constantly affirming that to them no matter what i mean this is what god does for us right god god did this for us while we were still sinners and still unrighteous and we are to emulate him and his example um i'm interested if you have any thoughts on that yeah um man and i have to say before i dive into some of that i I am fascinated with the the prodigal um, son and, and the entire story. Yeah. I think there's some really cool insights. One, just a, a few of them that stood out to me here a couple of years ago as I dove deep into it was that the father has taken up on himself a tremendous amount of shame in what the son has done. The son has basically said, you, you don't, you're not even alive in my life in order right. to get inheritance. Like you're dead to me. And, um, and so when the father goes running, um, if you got the close knit community, 
the community, the response would have been like to stone the son. So when the father runs and throws himself around the son and covers him up, he's like, I'll take the stones. I'll take the pain. Mm. And so just just so many rich uh, pieces that you can pick out of the story. One of the most fascinating ones to me stood out was that um, the elder son comes and says, you never threw me a party. I'm not joyful. I'm not happy. And, um, you know, you, you never done this for me. And, um, and he says, all I've done is just listen to your commands and have done what you've told me to do. And so the elder son has actually been living the life of the servant. He's living beneath his potential the entire time. And the father looks at him and goes, Oh, my son, (laughs) it's just like, you know, you're living with your potential, but don't still change the fact that you're my son, you know, and in a practical sense, man, my, my son, and it's, I, I talk about it some, and uh, he does a little, I should say he does like me broadcasting the story, but he doesn't mind me sharing it too when I can help people with it. But he had an honor scholarship um, to, to the number two business school in America. And uh, he went and played golf. And they kicked him out of school because he didn't he didn't do his work, and he threw it away. I have never ever been as mad at <laughs> my son as I was over there. I'm like, like he lost years. You threw tens of thousands of dollars away. You know how could you do this? And uh, I remember when I went, we would play golf two or three times a year. He's in Indiana, I'm in Tennessee at the time. And I, I go up to Indiana, and this it's just like January, you know. Well, it's kind of crazy because I grew up in Indiana, and I know what the weather's like. Well, it was it was a fairly warm day. It was kind of nuts. I mean, it's just unheard of. And we went golfing. Well, I didn't know what he'd been. Doing. I just knew he'd been he hadn't been doing good at his at his school at all. And so we got out there, we played golf. And when we turned the corner, uh, getting ready to start on hole number ten, I looked at him. Because we played bogey golf, he and I both. Well, he's killing me. He's like par, par, birdie, birdie, par, birdie. You know, he's up like 10 strokes. I'm going like, I just looked at him and I said, okay. I said, I know what you've been doing, but how in the world did you afford this? And he said, well, I had a little bit of money from this one, blah, 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 you know, scholarship grant or whatever that he got put in his account. He said, and I went through that money. He said, I made friends with the guys at the golf course. And he said, um, they let me play free. <laughs> I was looking at him, I was shaking my head. I'm going like, I can't believe this. And I felt like to him, I said, son, I said, whatever it is that you want to do, you will do it. And I said, and you're, he's brilliant. I mean, he never took homework home. He would like go to sleep in school and wake up and pass the test. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it was just insane. I never, ever took homework home ever. Not one day. Um, he, he got called in, or we got called in, his parents, his math class, because he would not show his work. He goes, why do I need to show my work when I know the answer? He just read the question, write down the answer, do the math in his head, all this stuff, you know. And, I, and I'm like, I said, son, I said, whatever it is that you want to do, you'll do it. I said, clearly, this is not it. I said, so just go find whatever it is that you really want to do. I said, and do that. She goes, you're about ready to drive me nuts. I said, you're driving and so to his credit he went to a bible college for one year and then we had moved to texas and he moved down moved in with us took a year off 
went back to community, uh, a community school, finished all his associates, jumped in and did his bachelor's online through a leadership. Now he is, um, he's got just a fuzz over a year. I mean, he'll basically this time next year, he will graduate with his uh, MDiv. Um, he's learning Greek and Hebrew. He's teaching at a college already. Um, I mean, he's just, he's off the charts, but, but it took a while to get there. My point in saying all that is that as a dad, man, I went from, you know, being very, very upset, but at the same time, looking and going like, you know, you're still my son. I still love you. I'm still, I'm not, I don't like what you did, but I'm, I'm proud of, you know, the fact that you're my son and, and you, you can get there. I don't want it to be all about my words of affirmation. I don't want to be all about achievements. I want him to know that I love you despite all this. I'm upset, yeah. but I still love you. You know, yeah. I still got your back. I'm still for you, even though you're not doing the right thing. And, yeah. uh, but anyway, he's married now and he's just, he married an incredible young lady. Um, in fact, Thanksgiving was the coolest Thanksgiving I've ever had. Both of my children got married this summer. They're there with their spouses on Friday. And I looked at all and said, you have no idea. I said, you'll have it one day. Lord willing, I said, but uh, you have no idea how thrilling this is. Said, this is my favorite Thanksgiving ever, only to be trumped when you guys have grandkids or have some kids. Yeah. I have grandkids here. I said, then I'll, it'll be better. It'll be better then. So anyway, um, the little bit of inside of that whole thing with the prodigal and still loving, still caring yeah. and, and very real. I mean, this is my word, man. Tens of yeah. thousands of dollars. And what really hit him was when he's playing his video games. And I'm like, you gotta grow up. I'm, 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 you know, I'm working with him, trying. And then all of a sudden, his friends are graduating from college, and they're landing good jobs. They're making all this kind of money. He looks at his life, and he was like, "Man, I just like throw it away." And it really got him. <laughs> it really, yeah. I mean, he buckled under because it always been so easy for him, you know. So I told him, I said, "If you ever develop the work ethic, I said you'll get there." I said, "But you don't have work yeah. right now," and he sure does now, man. It's it's crazy. So, well, I think that's really cool on your part, wise on your part, too, having that conversation. I mean, obviously, you figured out he's kicking your tail in golf. Something's been happening. He's been obviously not doing so good in school, but he's really good on the course here. So, like, you put two and two together, but you know, I, I love how you kind of deliver the story, as in it's not a matter of, you know, you rip into him. Why are you doing this? Why are you doing that? You offer this guidance of you need to figure out what you want to do. Like, you, you've, you've got to you've got to do these things. I think, I think that's a difference maker. You know, like we started talking about at the beginning, Moses just saying, no, it's not this, no, it's not that. And it's just a bunch of negativity, but you offer this, you offer this guidance instead of just condemnation in a sense. And I think that that's really important for dads to take away from what you shared is when we are dealing with our kids and they're making their mistakes, our role is to not condemn. I mean, Again, if we're emulating Christ, he came not to condemn. So that shouldn't be our approach either. But obviously there has to be a corrective that's given. But doing it doing it in a way where there is grace, doing it in a way where there is wisdom, and taking our ego out of the equation too. This, this was something that I, I think is big because we often feel like our kids are – a complete representation of who we are. And I don't know if that is always 100% the case because right. they grow up to be individuals and be independent and they get to do what they want to do. Um, they're a product of our parenting for sure, but 
we're not raising kids to represent us. We're raising kids to represent Christ. And um, I, I think I think that's important for us to take our ego out of the equation. Uh, if you have anything else to add to that, you're welcome to. But I, I do want to ask you maybe some practical ways on how dads go about offering affirmation, when to give affirmation, um, if, if there's good moments better than others to give affirmation. I know we talked a little bit about the frequency, maybe five times to every one, just maybe assume you're wrong three times a day and go for 15 or something. But um, do you have any insight, any, any guidance on, on, on that? You know, there's a good, there's a good questions. Um, the first part on removing ego, I think that it's important that you don't try to live your life uh, through your children's life. Um, you know, well, I wanted to be a doctor, so my kids have to be a medical doctor. You know, um, I wanted to be whatever it is, and you pass that on. You got to be careful not to do that. One of the things that I detested as a young man was that my my father was a pastor, and when my dad would go out to preach and as a guest speaker, people would often come up to me and say, "Oh, you're gonna be a preacher like your dad." I, I did not like that at all. Um, I, I just felt like. Why is it just because my dad's a preacher that I'm supposed to be a preacher? And yeah. today I, I am. I'm, I'm, I'm a minister. But my biggest struggle was the fact that my dad was a minister. My grandfather was a minister. My great-grandfather was a minister. My aunt, aunt's married minister. My uncles were ministers. I mean, the list goes on and on. That right there was my was one of my biggest struggles was I did not want to be a minister just because everyone else was a minister. And thankfully, my dad never pushed me to be a minister. In fact, my dad would say, I believe that everyone is called to ministry and we need good CPAs. We need good attorneys. And he would ingrain this into me. So I never looked at, oh, there's the preacher minister and then everyone else is not a minister. I've never, ever viewed it that way. I believe that we're all uh, called to ministry and some called pulpit ministry, some called the other. And so my, my dad ingrained that into me. And so I, th- I think that's important. Um, as to your other question, I, I I don't know if I have, let me say it like this. I don't think there's a textbook that says, okay, this is the way that you do this. I've never lived my life like that. I, I don't think my father ever lived his life like that. But I think there are some practical things that I, I do by practice. And I, I believe I have a good relationship with my children. If you ask my son, yes, my daughter. Um, do I get it always right? No. Um, one thing that I practice is that when I see that I'm wrong, I'm not afraid to go tell my children I'm sorry. Um, thankfully, I don't have to do that every day, but I've had to do that more than one time where I say, listen, I'm not perfect. I'm sorry. Um, I remember my son walking into my office and I, at the time, was at the church. I was pastor in East Tennessee. And he came in and he, he was in and out the door and it was starting to bother me. So he came in with a, and he goes, dad, look, and he's about three years old and he's holding an egg of a Robin in his hand. He found it in the nest somehow. And I'm so frustrated. I walked over and this is one of my worst fathering moments <laughs> of my life. I walk over and I grab the egg out of his hand and I'm like, well, that bird is dead now. I don't have the door and I throw the egg. As far as I can, it hits Bush boy instantly. He just burst into tears. You know, he's excited. He's got this egg. And I'm frustrated that you're bothering me. You know, I'm trying to get stuff done. And it hits the bush and he starts bawling. And I'm like, 
oh my word i mean what are you doing eugene i mean like he's a three-year-old and i'm just i'm i'm feeling like a heel god I, hopefully it was the lord that provided this i can't prove it but one day <laughs> all these bushes this bird came flying up out of the bush and jesus forgive me but i went like no, no. and i turned the moment and i was like look it became a bird it became a birdie. It's uh, I, I, I think I lied. Uh, but anyway, it, that now moment. Now you're a miracle worker. <laughs> that moment, though, Anthony, that, that, that moment, it, it, it's, I have to laugh because if I don't laugh, I will cry. Sure. Because I still. 25, 24 years later, look back at that scene, and I still see that moment as one of my worst fathering moments of my life. And so I've had a few others, <laughs> but I'm, I'm, I'm quick to say, hey, I'm sorry. And I told him, yeah. sat down and hugged him, and I said, I'm sorry. And so finding, you know, finding ways to affirm and speak into your children's lives. I know I don't think it's a textbook, but I think it's it's a, it comes from a heart of love for your kids. I'm not trying to get them to be like me. Um the goal is not that my world is perfect, that I'm not aggravated, that um you know they're quiet when I want to be quiet and we have fun when we when I'm ready to have fun. That's not that's not the goal. The goal is that my children will grow up and be everything that God wants them to be and excel at everything God wants them to excel. And somehow I have been a part of pouring into them and helping to shape them. That, that's the goal. I, I, I want to give honor and glory unto the Lord and how I raise my children. So um, it comes and goes, man. Sometimes it's the assignments, but at the same time, I don't want my children to think that they're perfect in everything either because they're not perfect in everything. They, you know, this talk that happened, it actually happened back in the, in the seventies, I believe it was, I've done all the research on it, but back in California where they started writing things on the walls and in the bathroom mirrors and public schools, it was on the public school system. And it was all about, Oh, you're great. You're wonderful. You're, you're, you're perfect. You know, and you do away with the red markers and all this stuff. Well, that jumped or spurred a, a an entire business, a billion dollar business that um, it spread into corporations and we have all these little statements on the wall and everything's perfect and grand. Well, the thing was, is that no one did any empirical research on it way back then. When they did it later, they found out that it's not, it's not really so. In fact, there are, there are some, and then research has been done on this that um, seem to think that that has given uh, a lot of room or the way forward to the fact that narcissism has risen in our society. Well, and, it, and it's like a credible amount of narcissism or society, but they think it's back to this, oh, you're just great. You're perfect. So that's not what we're talking about. You know, yeah. uh, it's not this false sense of, oh, I'm great. And all of a sudden they get in the real world and realize that they're not. I mean, that, that's not what we're talking about. But finding those moments that, you know, son, I, I love you, you know, I, and, and my daughter, hey, I, I love you. Just building that into them. Sometimes it is their schoolwork. But I don't want them to think that I just love them because of their schoolwork or that I was speaking sure. words of affirmation just because of an accomplishment. You know, I love them because they're my children. 
Right. You know, and, and I do believe that God's hands on their life and, you know, on and on. So um, I'm blessed, but I've got a great, I've got a, some great kids and I'm, again, not perfect, but I've been, I've been very, very blessed and very, very thankful for it. Anyway. Yeah. I, I, I think there's some good things to extract from that. Um, kind of what you just ended, the note you ended on back to the, uh, the story of the prodigal son, just to reemphasize that one more time. Um, our love for our kids cannot be contingent upon their achievements. I mean, this son came back broken, had wasted everything, and the dad knew it, and he did not care. He loved his son because he was his son. And I think that's something that we have as fathers. We've got to keep that in mind, that our kids might make some really bonehead moves, but we don't stop loving them because they make bonehead moves. We love them unconditionally because they are our children and we're not we're not there to just promote perfection all the time and say yeah this is great yeah this is wonderful we need to have a bar for the kids um but we don't need to have it so high that they can never achieve it i mean i think about this just a simple illustration since i have younger kids um my daughter jojo about to be three or already three at this point by the time this episode plays uh, when she colors it, you still can't tell what it is. It's just all over the place. But she comes and she's proud of it, and she shows you, and you're you're proud that that she's yeah. done that. Now my son, he's seven. If he was to do the same, he'd be like, "Dude, what are you doing? Right. You, you right. know how to color in the lines? Like you're better than this. Like don't 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 dumb everything down to the level of a three year old. Like you know, do what you know to do. Um, so you know, there's there's a difference there, and there's a tension that we have to continually gauge as our kids grow up. Um, I will, I, w- I want to ask you a couple more things. The last thing in reference to affirmation and validation, is there anything that you think dads can do themselves to condition themselves to be affirming fathers to where they're more sensitive to picking up on moments and situations in which this is when I need to validate my kid. This is, this is a good opportunity for me to speak affirmation to them. Yes, um, absolutely. One, become an affirming person. Speak the words of validation to people. Um, just, just find a way to speak it to your, your spouse, speak it to coworkers, uh, speak it to people that um, your, your pastor, just speak words of, of affirmation, speak words of validation. And, and, Fine. It doesn't mean that you agree with everything somebody does or you agree with who the person is I and mean, all those things. But find find ways to be that type of a person. Um, it's the same thing as like cultivating an attitude of gratitude. You know, the reason that the one returned and gave thanks most likely was because even though he's got leprosy and he's away from his family, he's still thankful. And so you develop that into your life. It's just part of who you are. So just become that person. And when you become that person, it'll flow out around your children naturally. And so that, that would be one of the first things I, I would look at. Um, you know, in my life, my wife has been a great voice. I've listened to her. She's told me um, at times in my life, babe, you're too busy right now. You're too preoccupied with some other things. The kids need you. You need to slow down. Now, I don't hear that all the time. Thankfully, because if I did, then uh, I, I would have a whole lot more work <laughs> that I need. But, uh, but, but she has told me that, though. 
she has told yeah. me, you know, you're, you're too busy. You're, you're not focused right now on the kids. And so, so do that. Um, pay attention to how much time you spend uh, with your children. Uh, I was adult learner. I went back to school for my master's and my doctorate when my, you know, my kids were growing up at home. And so I, I made it a point that I would get up early, early in the morning and I would work. And then I would go about my regular job and then I'd see my kids in the morning, some breakfast time, if I could. And then I would go about my regular job and then I would come home and then I, I would play ball. I remember my dad doing this. Then he'd come home. He was a pastor, but he was by vocation. He pastored small churches, worked construction up until I was about 12. And then he became full time. But up until then, um, every day, my dad would come home and he would throw the ball with me. We'd play basketball. We'd throw, play baseball. Um, he would take me fishing on the weekends. So take time and then, you know, sacrifice some of the other, the other. And mine was I'd stayed up uh, late at night and I'd work. I'd work early in the morning. I'd take about a half a day Saturday and work. I was averaging about 25 uh, hours or so a week during my doctoral studies. And my, my children were never deprived. I, I always had time to grill out, play ball with them. Now, my sleep, um, it, it kind of waned a little bit. I was sure. about four, four and a half hours a night of sleep, but not, but I wasn't going to sacrifice my kids. And yeah. so, um, just pay attention to how much time you spend. You know, I, I think the example of kind of summing all this up is that it's, it's not about just, um, setting aside a week of vacation and now we go on vacation and we cram everything in. And then I go back and I just live the rest of my life until next year. It doesn't work that way. Yeah. And so uh, this is a, this is an ongoing life. Now you do need those moments. You need vacation. A really cool point on vacation. Um, nothing you can do too is that you can get so busy and caught up with things that you never really spend quality time. So several years ago, we took uh, it was one of our first trips. We did this for several years in a row. Where we took about a fifteen-hour drive, and we did this repeatedly. And I was speaking at a conference, and my daughter walked in the conference while I was speaking. And I said, without me prompting my daughter, I said, Jalen, tell everybody what your favorite moment of the vacation was. And uh, she said, oh, she said, it's easy. She said, it was always being together in the vehicle for 15 hours. It wasn't Grand Canyon. It wasn't the mountains. It wasn't all of the excursions that we did. It was the fact that we were together as a family. And so when you, when your kids look back on it, as time goes by, it's not going to be toys you bought them. It's not going to be, you know, the big Christmas gifts you bought them. It's not those things. It's going to be, oh, we were together as a family. Yeah. That's where you yeah, get that's beautiful. Yeah, that's beautiful. Uh, just what I thought of when you said that going on the vacation, then coming back and then living my life again. Once you become a dad, this is no longer just my life. Even when you get married, it's no longer just my life. It becomes our life. Right. And I think it becomes, I think a lot of the tension and the difficulty that we find throughout life is because we're still trying to live that independent, solo, isolated life rather than embracing this collective life that we have, being a part of a beautiful family. Um, I always appreciate our conversations. I wish we had a little more time to talk because I feel these conversations, these conversations always go. Um, one of these days we'll, we'll make it happen in person too. And we'll, we'll have a good chat then. But before we, before we call it a day, I'm going to ask you same thing. I asked you at the end of the last episode we did together. And that is, is there a piece of advice that you would share for dads today? Yes. 
dads, proud of you. You're, you're trying. The very fact that you tuned in and you're listening says that you care and that you're trying. I'm proud of you. Keep growing in it. Keep passing it on. Love it. Love it. Way to end it with affirmation on the topic of affirmation. That's why you are the doctor, the Dr. Eugene Wilson, the leadership guy. I love it. I appreciate appreciate you, appreciate your impact in my life, your influence. And thank you again for giving me some time today. Thanks, man. It's a joy. Well, I always appreciate my time with Dr. Eugene Wilson. I appreciate his willingness to talk about his failures and his experiences, and he has great insight. And affirmation is one of those things that we can really struggle with. Maybe it's something that we just didn't get enough of growing up, but it's something that is so vital to our children, I think especially to our sons as fathers, but our girls need it too. We've got to learn to speak affirmation to our kids. We've got to learn to speak life to our kids. The Bible tells us that life and death is in the power of the tongue. So you have the opportunity, and I'm going to encourage you to speak life. We ought to pray for some help on this. Lord, we thank you for what you've allowed us to hear. We thank you for the understanding that you're helping us to obtain And while it might be difficult for us sometimes to break out of our shell and to use words that we feel like we don't really have to use that aren't really serving a purpose, God, we recognize that there is a purpose in the way that we speak and the words that we speak to our kids. We are understanding, God, that it's imperative that we use our voice to uplift our children, that we speak affirmation and validation, that we use the words that you have blessed us with to speak and to give life. God, I pray that you would help us on this quest called fatherhood to raise our children up, not only with our example, not only with your teaching, but also with the words that we speak to them. Help us to always speak life to our kids. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, as always, here I am, your partner in fatherhood. And if you have any questions for me, always send them my way, fatheringourfuture at gmail.com. Thank you so much for being with me. This is Fathering Our Future. I'm Anthony Vandegrift, and I hope you will join me next time. I want to thank you again for listening to Fathering Our Future and for endeavoring to grow as a dad. But I want to ask you to become more than just a subscriber. I want to ask you to consider becoming a supporter of Fathering Our Future. Whether it's a one-time gift today or a monthly commitment, whatever you give, it's not too small. It will contribute to Fathering Our Future, continuing to grow and to expand and to reach dads. All you have to do is go to fatheringourfuture.com, click the donate button, and give whatever you would like to give. Thank you, and God bless.